Welcome to episode 27 of Oscar Sunday. I'm Austin Johnson. I'm Connor Zagari. And this is a Herman J. Mankiewicz showcase sent around Citizen Kane from 1941. The greatest film ever made? I don't know. Do you know, Connor? In some circles, <laughs> not mine, uh, but we'll get to that. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about that. Uh, you may have watched uh, David Fincher's new film on Netflix, Mank, or maybe you're planning on watching it. Uh, Connor and I will definitely be talking about that movie later on, and we'll give awards out for Citizen Kane, like we always do. Uh, Citizen Kane received nine nominations at the 14th Academy Awards, but I want to start the show off with a film that came out a year after, and it's the only other screenplay that Mank, that's how we're going to... That's what, how we're going to call him on this show. That's, uh, <laughs> I think that's how everybody's going to call him these days. Uh, that's the only other screenplay, part of the Yankees, the film after Citizen Kane, 1942. It's the only other screenplay that he was nominated for at the Oscars. So this was just at uh, Half Price Books while you and I were just hanging out, and I bought it, um, and we both watched it. And I think we were equally kind of surprised at how good it was. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I'd heard of this film for years. I you know I'm never really been a big baseball guy, but in the past couple of years, I've you know really warmed up to baseball movies, and I fucking love Gary Cooper. So uh, yeah, <laughs> this was a treat. I really enjoyed the Pride of the Yankees. Yeah, me too. And this, uh, what's amazing about the Pride of the Yankees is that it has eleven nominations at the fifteenth Academy Awards. Just again, a year later after Citizen Kane, and it's you know. Not as strong of a film as Citizen Kane, but it certainly has something to say and is definitely one of the best baseball movies I've seen. Uh, of course, we did Moneyball on this show. We, we both adore uh, adore that, that screenplay. We adore the way it's directed by Bennett Miller and Brad Pitt and Jonah Hill. It's, it's wonderful. But here we have Gary Cooper. We have fucking Babe Ruth playing himself, you know, uh, Teresa Wright. It's, it's a really clever, uh, a clever little screenplay for Mank and uh, a few other guys are credited for it. Joe Swirling amongst uh, all of them. Um, I, I'm glad I have this movie. I'm glad I own it. Uh, I don't know if we'll ever base a whole show around it or anything, but I think it's worth your time. It definitely is. If, you know, especially if you're a, you know, classic Yankees fan. I mean, this is as, you know, as big as you can get murderers row. We all know who they are. And Lou Gehrig especially was such a powerhouse and such an incredible influence on, you know, baseball itself. And uh, just the fact that he, you know, passed away at 37 years old from ALS and yeah. Yeah. Had this, and of you know, course, of course has the, the diseases now named after him. Yeah. Yeah. Lou Gehrig's disease. It's crazy. And in such a short amount of time, he became like a living legend and this movie really kind of showcases his humility. I know his wife was heavily involved in production and she didn't see a single thing wrong with the first cut. She was like, this is, you did it. Like you captured my husband's life perfectly, which means that Lou Gehrig, you know, was a good man. And I love stories about good people. And I can see Mank's kind of flavor in these movies. He is so good at snappy dialogue and, larger than life characters i mean lou gehrig he kind of he wrote lou gehrig as like a good man's charles foster kane exactly exactly such an interesting way that they kind of yeah in some way they kind of paralleled because yeah you have this great great guy who meets you know meets his fall and then yeah kane charles foster kane who's just this monster <laughs> incredible stuff i i know um 
you know, Lou Gehrig of what you, you mentioned, you know, multiple times that the 1927 Yankees, you know, they've been mentioned time and time again in film, you know, a movie we love is fucking Sandlot, you know, this, you don't need to be a baseball fan to kind of relate and kind of understand what's going on here. When you're talking about the New York Yankees and Babe Ruth and Lou Gehrig, you know, these legends, Titans of the game. Um, I, I really do want people to not take it lightly. You know, I, 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 I've seen some of the reviews for it and, you know, people call it whatever cheesy, this and that. Um, I, I disagree. I think I went into it with kind of low expectations and came out surprised and almost, almost, you know, Gary Cooper almost brought me to tears with uh, his, you know, direct, directly quoted, you know, speech, the Lou Gehrig speech at the end. Damn, you know, brought me to tears, man. And that's, that's the power of power of filmmaking, right? You know, uh, 80 years later, you know, a film can do that to you. Uh, makes me feel a lot different than Citizen Kane does, but uh, I, I like when a movie makes me feel warm, and that's what the Pride of the Yankees does. Yeah, straight up. And I think Citizen Kane kind of gives you the opposite reaction. You just you you feel pissed, or at least I did. At the end of Citizen Kane, I'm like that that guy just you know fucking ruined everything he touched. He was almost inhuman, and it really showcased that that level of wealth is almost a different species. Like there is very little you have in common with a billionaire. I mean, they exist on a plane that we will never even be able to touch. And Citizen Kane shows that isolation so well that no matter how much you want to love, you can't. It's not in your DNA when you are that rich. It's, yeah, brilliant. <laughs> yeah, that's the best, the best part of, you know, Kane's influence on things that we love, things that film fans love and films that the Oscars love is that rise and fall and just that character study of different kinds of guys, whether it be, you know, dealing with money or this or that, or fame and fortune, you know, it is so fascinating to watch. And Kane is kind of the, you know, the outlier. It's the first one to really hone in on that and really nail it and, and do it in such an entertaining way. And of course, we're going to talk a lot about that movie, uh, later and I, I can't wait to give awards out because i really have no idea where you're gonna go with citizen kane um i i had a very hard time choosing each each of the four awards that we have so i i'm, I'm very excited to, to do that later on and i think you know i think we should bring up a film that kind of connects you know what we're talking about here and how we can connect it to our conversation about citizen kane later is the film we watched yesterday uh if you're listening to this uh, we would have watched it two days ago, and that is Mank, which came out on Netflix. David Fincher, Gary Oldman, Amanda Seyfried, you sign us up, right? You know, already, we don't really need to see the trailer or anything. You and I are kind of like, all right, but, you know, we're in. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, uh, that shit fucking delivered. Um, let me tell you what, I think, right off the bat, I'll, I'll let you, you know, really talk about it. I think it's the best film Fincher has done since Social Network. Fuck, that's high praise. Wow. From you, that means a lot. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm talking about, I love Gone Girl and I love Dragon Tattoo. <laughs> this was very much in David Fincher's eye. Like it's been there in, his, like in the back of his head for 20 years. This was a script written by his father. Uh, he was planning on doing this in the 90s, didn't happen, but Fincher is nothing if not patient. And uh, here we are with this monumentous look into classic Hollywood from the side 
that you don't usually get. You don't usually get the writer's insight of classic Hollywood. Because there was a time, believe it or not, when the writers were not fully appreciated. Can you believe that? (laughs) (laughs) How about that? (laughs) And I loved getting to see this witty, sarcastic, secret genius just kind of shamble through life and end up writing one of the most influential films in history and kind of realize as he's writing it that this is a masterpiece and I need people to know that I wrote it. It's, it's a very good story in itself. And I love a good biopic and uh, Fincher delivered for sure. I'm, I was very impressed with Gary Oldman's performance. I think it's his best work in decades. And uh, yeah, I was glued to the screen straight up. Yeah. Yeah, man. And I, I, you know, I'll bounce off that right away. Gary Oldman won that Oscar for the darkest hour, but this, this right here is a real Oscar winning performance. What he's transforming over a decade, right? Gary Oldman playing Mank through the thirties as he's just churning out film after film, after film, after film, culminating to this moment, to this moment in time in cinematic history, this, you know, moment that we can pinpoint because we all know when we hear Citizen Kane, 1941, Orson Welles, Mank, you know, we know, we know exactly what it is. And to recreate this and Gary Oldman is literally fucking recreating this guy that we just don't know enough about. And man, that's one of Fincher's best, best attributes right is he he'll bring up some story that's just like oh man how, how did not, no one else think of that <laughs> how did nobody else think to make a facebook movie jesus this guy's a genius you know all, all these things that he's done throughout his career you know the zodiac um film is something i thought about a lot while i'm watching make like this guy's just a master of his craft he knows exact you just the way uh you know the way he chooses the guys he's working with, you know, of course this, this script is very special. Like he said, it's a 20 years in the making at least and working with specific, you know, Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross and, you know, picking specific people for different things. And I, I just adore every little touch, but Gary Oldman really is what you're watching him become Mank. You're watching him recreate this guy. This is, this is what he used to do. To, to me, this is what he was, you know, best at, you know, in the 90s, playing these kind of just fucking fast talking, smart, smartest guy in the room. Let's go. I'm I'm the guy you're watching, no matter what's happening on the screen. I might not be the best looking, but you're going to watch me. And Gary, Gary just reminded me how damn good he is. Yeah, straight up. I mean, if you ever were doubting his, you know, his credentials, look no further. I mean, this guy is one of the hardest working character actors in the business and pairing him with David Fincher is a movie geeks dream. Fincher. I think one of the things that I don't think he gets enough credit for is his eye for production design oh. and how he can recreate a time period to a, oh. like to the letter. And yes, we saw him do that with 1970s San Francisco and Zodiac with early two thousands Harvard with the social network. And he, killed it with 1930s hollywood my lord mgm studio circa 1938 good lord okay that scene when you're with when you're with mayor walking through the lot i couldn't 
I'm looking around, you know, like, and that's the shit I'm like, man, I wish I was in a theater so bad so that everyone around me, our eyes can just light up the way we did when we saw Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. When you go back to a specific time and place in this world that we love. That's so special, so special. And I think Mank is going to be looked at, you know, I think some people may think we're a little bit, you know, praising it maybe too much, but, but that, that's because I think people don't know quite what they're watching. And it, and here, he, you know, I'm going to bring up once upon a time in Hollywood again, when you use fictional characters and non-fictional and real, real life people, but you're using Leo and Pitt as the fake guys, you can do anything you want. But what we're doing here is actually everyone's real. You know, there's a shout out to Charlie Chaplin at some point. There's, there's Shirley Temple is, is at MGM. Um, there's all kinds of stuff going on. It's really cool, really cool. But if you're not looking for it or not ready to look for it, it's not going to totally click. You know, Once Upon a Time is very on the nose. That's Roman Polanski. That's Steve McQueen. That, you know, Mank is really, really forcing you to, forcing you to immerse yourself with 1930s Hollywood. True. But I would argue that Once Upon a Time in Hollywood does the same thing, but on a, like more, I think on a lesser scale, because we saw it soon after we did our Roman Polanski episode on Filmgasm. And we got to, we noticed those little details because we did the homework. We noticed like when uh, Sharon Tate goes and buys a copy of Tess of the D'Urbervilles from the used bookstore. Little things like that resonated with us. For sure. We did For the sure. homework. We didn't know we were doing the homework, but we did the homework. And we did the homework with Mank too. And this is a film where you really need to know this, like what this is before you go into it. You need to see Citizen Kane. To, to understand Mank. A hundred percent. And the fact that we did like immediately before we watched this, I feel like it enhanced the experience tenfold. Yes. Yeah. And that's why we had to, you know, bunch them together for this episode is do Citizen Kane, Mank, and the Pride of the Yankees. These films that all kind of connect Herman to the Oscars. And we both obviously think that Mank will be up for, a, a few awards <laughs> yeah, probably uh, at this, at this upcoming show. I, I, I really do think it's a, a borderline masterpiece. I'm definitely going to watch it again uh, soon. I was blown away by the aesthetic blown away by, by what it did, what it did for, for movie lovers like us. I just, I was geeking out the whole time, you know, and when I don't know exactly who everybody is, that makes it a little more interesting and more rewarding. And you know, it's in black and white and it's old school and I'm still doing my homework on some people. Um, I know some people were confused on who that was. They thought maybe it was Charlie Chaplin or uh, I think some people thought it was Clark Gable. And they're like, who, who is that? <laughs> and he gets kicked out of an office. You know, like this is little things that are so rewarding when you do your movie homework, you know, your old Hollywood homework, your classic Hollywood, your screwball comedy homework. Because uh, this this movie just mashes all of that shit in one. Wow. While David Fincher's in control, and it's well, right, right from the get-go, you're you're just kind of like, oh yeah, I'm in, I am in wonderful hands. Do you think this is Fincher's best opportunity to finally take home best director? Like, you think he has a strong chance this year? I do, I do. I think I think Mank has a chance to do a lot of great things uh, this this award season. That that's the great way to 
before we before we go to the 14th Academy Awards and start talking about Kane, let's talk a bit about you know the shout out to the Oscars like over and over with Mank. I I mean you literally see footage of the Biltmore Hotel and then you see him have a little speech on the side with the award, dude. This is this is up our alley, man. <laughs> or like I I don't know I. I've talked to some people, uh, some family members who just like didn't like it. And I, I'm just watching and I'm like, I don't understand. <laughs> I'm, I'm geeking over here, man. I was so blown away by those touches, the, the Oscar touches. And that's why I think it's going to be up for a lot of Oscars. That's true. I mean, it's a little shameless, but it hey. is a great way to cap off this movie with, you know, Manx's Oscar win for the screenplay and his speech like the speech that he would have given was so fucking spiteful, but pure mank. And I love it. Pure mank. I wish he'd been on that stage to say that. (laughs) I know. I know. I love, I I love, I love that, that last bit and him kind of just barely holding it up with the, for the photo. And it's just so good. And, you know, the Oscars in real life love a movie about Hollywood. You know, they love a movie about, itself <laughs> and i yeah i anticipate that it will do very well uh, even though it has some mixed reviews so far you know i've noticed on letterboxd right now it has like a 3.6 uh, out of five and on what does it have on imdb as of right now let's um, see imdb it's sitting at a 7.5 and an 88 percent rotten tomato score so pretty good <laughs> That's pretty good. It's solid, especially for such a, you know, tough, you know, tough film, you know, that you really, you really got to, yeah, you got to be on your P's and Q's and ready to watch because it's a, it's like two hours and 15 minutes and it's, it's got a lot to say. Yeah. You're never bored. There's no drag on this movie at all. You can tell that, you know, Fincher has never really been one for dragging. Like his movies are finely tuned and what I've seen so far from his work, I still like. I still have some homework to do, but I have yet to be disappointed. And uh, I would love to see him finally take home a statue. Uh, he's earned it five or six times over at this point. <laughs> and uh, yeah, Mink is going to be very interesting to see how this movie pans out for award season, especially considering it's going to be a bare bones award season. And uh, yeah, I'm. I really like this. I'm I'm glad I got watched it, and I'm glad that Citizen Kane is the film that we picked for the week. <laughs> same, same. It's just such a great connector, and I I love that. You know, we'll bring up Orson Welles now. I love that. You know, I, I've heard people bring this up, and I've seen this in some some reviews for Mank that Orson Welles is kind of acting as as Fincher. Uh, you know, it's kind of like him. I'm going to use Orson as the guy who's like, you know, just going in and like, all right, you know, as if he's talking to Sorkin doing social network, (laughs) (laughs) you know, and that's, that's so cool, right? That these little things that you just get rewarded with when you, when you uh, know, know what you're watching and do your homework. And and Fincher is a guy that we've talked about with fight club on this show. Uh, We will continue to bring up, you know, forever. We talked uh, about Zodiac over on filmgasm before, um, that was a, almost a year ago now. Um, <laughs> we we love the guy. We really do. Where does Mank 
you know, where does it rank right now for you amongst, amongst your favorite? Cause I know seven's huge for you. I know Zodiac, you know, but, but what, where, where do you, where do you see Mank at? Um, it's up there. It's good. It's really good. Um, I think at the top it's, it's an ongoing battle between seven fight club and Zodiac, but yeah, right under there, you know, Mank and the social network are creeping up and, uh, I've still got, you know, some to see, but he does wonders with this movie. He really does. And it's just, it's all about, you know, the way this film feels, it feels like a snapshot into mid 20th century Hollywood at a time when the producers ran everything. When Louis B. Mayer was the king of Hollywood and that motherfucker, <laughs> I've every time there's a movie made about this time, yeah, he pops yeah. up and he's the most arrogant asshole in the movie. And the more I learn about this guy, I think we talked, we talked about him when we did the wings episode. Yeah, he's, yeah, yeah. He's the guy who established the Oscars, and he did it basically to shut people up and you know give them gold so they'll play ball. <laughs> and he's the guy who ruined Judy Garland's life. Like this dude was like a mafia don behind, like who was making movies. And this, I think, Mank really makes him look like a spineless worm. And I love that more than anything. I love that. <laughs> yeah, that was great. It's definitely like a villain, you know. Uh, yeah. But people who don't do that homework, people who don't understand this era, they're not going to know who the fuck Louis B. Mayer is. They're not going to understand and appreciate the you know the jabs at him. Whereas whereas we're like, oh yeah, fuck it, give it to him. Well, okay, that's a that's a that's a great great point because that again that bit in the MGM lot and he's walking. They choose the walk and talk in that moment. <laughs> they choose to do the walk and talk, and he's talking to the Mank brothers. Uh, and you know Joseph Joseph goes on to be you know solid filmmaker himself directs all about eve jesus christ so you got this moment in time and when you love movies <laughs> and you see that it, you know there's no words you just you get chills because we've never seen that before we've never seen such a pinpoint reenactment of this, you know, moment in time in Hollywood where we see this guy who is controlling everything, just fucking being himself, walking through, talking exactly about what he's doing, what the, we have more stars than, you know, in the fucking sky, all this crazy, you know, egotistical shit. And you just can't help but fucking smile ear to ear when you're watching that, watching Oldman walk next to him, just, it's, it's mind blowing. And I, I, definitely agree with you if this movie does not drag it is not boring if anything i wanted more <laughs> yeah my only gripe with it really is like i was hoping to see the production of citizen kane too but ah i love that though it just uh, it it's not really about i don't know it's so amazing you know what what it all is about and you know you can really break it down to you know it's about essentially you know parallels citizen kane it's this rise and fall and we we love that shit. We it's a uh, rise and fall of Lou Gehrig and Pride of the Yankees, just a way different way different storyline. But same same kind of you know same kind of premise. It's just watching a man go up, move up the ranks, you know, doing this thing, you know, finds his niche. Uh, Mank, he's doing his thing, and everybody loves him, and then everybody hates him. <laughs> uh, he you know, Mank died at fifty five. You know, of uh, you know, was a severe alcoholic, and that's displayed in the, the film many a times and gary oldman is so good at playing 
playing a drunk guy. You know, just the way he says cigarette, please is like, oh, oh well, Oscar, you know? Yeah. Like, Gary was great. And so was everybody else. Amanda Seyfried is going to be in, in there in those five nominations for best supporting actor. She was wonderful. Uh, it's, it's really good. And uh, obviously if you listen this far, you've probably seen it already. Otherwise we spoiled the shit out of it. So uh, <laughs> uh, I, I do, I do think that um, it, it connects, connects to Citizen Kane, even though it doesn't bring up the actual production and Orson Welles is not in it a lot. It definitely does. How, what, what were your favorite connections? So we can just, we'll, we'll segue into uh, Citizen Kane here. Um, really just the way Orson Welles was portrayed. He, yeah. It's probably the most controversial part of this movie is the way Orson Welles is really painted as an arrogant, talentless hack in Mank. And that is, that's, I mean, you got to have balls to go after Orson Welles you know, widely regarded as one of the most influential filmmakers of the 20th century, maybe ever. And for Fincher to basically take, you know, take shots at him like that, basically say, you know, Wells had nothing to do with how good Citizen Kane was. It was all Mankiewicz. Like, Jesus. And <laughs> I just, yeah, that and the little bit, the little barb about the, uh, the Marx Brothers cooking hot dogs in Thalberg's office. That oh made me my laugh. gosh. Unbelievable. That was clever as hell. I kind of had to pause it. Wait a minute. <laughs> uh, so good. Yeah. Yeah. That, that definitely is something that I've seen uh, that has stirred up controversy, you know, Orson Welles fans say, Oh my God, you know, and I, I, how I interpret it because I think Fincher is such a incredible filmmaker and I've seen him fuck with stuff like this before. I, I think he's trying his hardest there to keep it in Mank's perspective. Yeah. That's and true. this entire, this entire film, I'll, I'll, you know, bring up something really, you know, uh, eight and a half from 1963 by, by Fellini uses the same thing, uses the same thing of like, wait a minute, what's the narrative here? You know, what, what perspective? Oh, we're from this guy's perspective. So of course they're an asshole to him, but they're probably not really an asshole. And Fincher is very, very, very good at that. And I, I think it's a fine line. But, but I saw it. I, I saw it early. I was like, okay, I, I see what he's doing here. He's not, I don't think Fincher is saying, saying anything about Wells. I think he's trying his hardest to recreate how Mank was during that time period because Mank was not an easy man to work with at that time. <laughs> no, he was not. And I, I definitely, I, I, I would agree with you if I hadn't read something Fincher said about that, about that whole part of the movie. Let's hear it where he basically trashed Wells for his arrogance. And here, I'll, I'll bring that up on IMDb because it was a fascinating bit he said in an interview. Yeah, perfect. And then, like, then we'll, uh, you know, we're just going to keep talking about Kane. So why not? Yeah, right on. So um, Fincher was being interviewed about this film and mo- about how he, portray- how he portrays um, Orson Wells, And he took issue with Wells basically... Uh, Let me see if I can find it. Yeah, okay. Quote, Well, I think Orson Welles' tragedy lies in the mix between monumental talent and filthy immaturity. Sure, there is genius in Citizen Kane. Who could argue? But when Welles says, it only takes an afternoon to learn everything there is to know about cinematography, let's say that is the remark of someone who has been lucky to have Greg Toland around him to prepare the next shot. Greg Toland... (laughs) 
damn it, an insane genius. I say that without wanting to be disrespectful to Wells. I know what I owe him. Like I know what I owe Alfred Hitchcock, Ridley Scott, Steven Spielberg, George Lucas, or Hal Ashby. But at 25, you don't know what you don't know, period. (laughs) Neither Wells nor anyone. It doesn't take anything away from him, and especially not his place in the pantheon of those who have influenced entire generations of filmmakers. But to claim that Orson Welles came out of nowhere to make Citizen Kane and that the rest of his filmography was ruined by the interventions of ill-intentioned people, it's not serious, and it is underestimating the disastrous impact of his own delusional hubris. So deep. (laughs) I fucking love that. Fincher basically saying, like, yeah, he was good, but he wasn't the GOAT. He had so many people around him who knew what they were doing. Oh, he uh, he is not the GOAT. I mean, just you can you don't even need to 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 really look at it that deeply. I love that Fincher does because that's the way he is. Or just look at his filmography. It just does not stack up to to the Titans. It just it is not even close. Just the sheer the sheer volume is not no, like you there's not nearly enough bangers in there to compare yourself to, like you said, the goats. Uh, but but I love that he you know recognizes the influence that it has because you and I are very much like that. We talk a lot of shit about guys, but we're also like, yeah, but this movie's great, like Chinatown. <laughs> very true. Uh, I love it, and that's that's part of the fun, right? Is being able to say this is dumb, but this is this part's really good, and being able to be gray about it, not so black and white. Um, I, I like that part of of watching movies and talking about them. Yeah, for sure. Um, one thing I was really hoping the movie would clear up, and this is something I've always kind of wondered about, but haven't really been able to find. Why was Orson Welles given complete carte blanche to do whatever he wanted with this movie? Why was the studio basically willing to say, you have final say, you can do whatever you want for a guy who was 25 years old, who came out of nowhere. Like, why was he so highly regarded by the studio? I'm I'm not sure. And I, I know there's, you know, books about it and of course documentaries and probably should have done more research on that aspect. But I I think it was because of his talent with uh, st- the stage. He was so good with doing plays and he I know like in the late thirties he had casted like a super diverse cast and was uh, you know seen as kind of ahead of his time in that in that way. But um it's fascinating because Citizen Kane, you know, Charles Foster Kane, the character, how you see it, it kind of resembles that just kind of handed to him sort of thing. Like, wait a minute, what's going on here? You know, like why exactly is he able to just be the first guy in the forties, just get free reigns and do whatever he wants. I'm glad he did, <laughs> <laughs> but, but why? I, that is such a good question. I know there's plenty of things and, uh, you know, to, to research that stuff, but, but Hey, uh, this is how we're going to be honest here. This is just my second time watching it. Same. <laughs> this is our second time watching citizen Kane. Uh, we're 25 years old, just like Orson Welles was. Uh, we're always watching films for filmgasm in this, in the show and for our, our, our own, you know, pleasure. We, we love this stuff and we both, have talked about how we're going to do this at some point on the show. (laughs) You know, we're going to do it in some way and it's a perfect time to pair it with Mank. And, you know, when I first saw it about four years ago, I was underwhelmed. I'll be, I'll be quite frank. I'll be honest. I didn't know what I was watching. 
I didn't know how, how huge it was. I had heard people say it's the greatest movie, whatever, you know, everybody's talking about it, that, you know, the stuff on the poster, but I didn't know exactly the influence and how much people looked up to the cinematography and the editing and all these different, you know, technical things and how advanced. So I was like, Oh, that was, that was cool. But like, I, you know, I feel like I just kind of watched it to watch it and, and, you know, left it at that, you know, this, the show comes around and I'm like, okay, we're going to do this. We're going to pair it with Mank. You know, I gotta, I'm excited to watch this. I've watched, I've watched a lot of forties movies and fifties movies and thirties movies since, since then, you know, since I first watched Kane. And I tell you what, Connor, this is, this is a masterpiece. They were right. <laughs> they were right. And I was wrong. <laughs> uh, it, it is mind blowingly uh, rewatchable. It's something that I think I'm going to rewatch a bunch now. When I watched it again, I was like, Oh yeah. Wow. This pace is incredible. I love the beginning narrating. Whoa. You know, Oh, the symbolism of Rosebud, all this stuff, all these cool things, man, Charles Foster Kane becoming a monster and kind of just freaking out and having a moment of breaking. That's what I love. And I love that shit in Paul Thomas Anderson movies. Well, Oh my God, I totally get it. I totally get why this is so well-respected not just for the time it came out and all, all that, those things. And, you know, the controversy of the screenplay itself and, and who has rights to it and Orson Welles and what did he, you know, what people actually believed he did it. it, it the movie itself is amazing, Connor. <laughs> <laughs> and and I'm, I'm very glad we got to watch it this week. Uh, I, you know, I would, I, I read a review and I, I know you feel strongly about it, but I really do. It's like nearing a 10 for me. I really do think it is. It's not, it's not my, you know, 50 favorite movies ever, but it's in my hundred favorite movies. I'll tell you that, you know, it's, it's, it's in there now and it's in my subconscious and it's something that I'm going to keep watching. Very nice. I'm glad you feel so strongly about it. And I think, you know, something I had uh, texted you, I think the reason we appreciate this movie so much now is because of everything we've watched for these podcasts has reinforced a new vision in the way we look at film. And I fucking love that to death like i think if we hadn't done you know angels with dirty faces and wings and uh the great dictator and for the prep work you know philadelphia story and white heat like we have exposed ourselves to so much incredible mid-20th century art and all of that just funnels right back in to our eyes when we watch films like citizen kane and we get to see we have an entirely new experience now and I wouldn't trade that for the world. It's the best way to watch movies, it, you know, and know what you're, what you're getting into and know what you're talking about. It's fantastic. Yeah, man, exactly. And it makes sense that Citizen Kane wouldn't be one of the very first episodes we do. It's the, it's the 27th. <laughs> we're, we're, we're in this thing now. You brought up those 40 film, 40s films. You know, I was equally just blown away by The Treasure of the Sierra Madre. Just blown away by that 1948 movie that just holy shit i said the same thing i get reservoir dogs now (laughs) (laughs) you you know it's it's fucking rewarding to to do the homework and really appreciate it and actually oh wow come out on top like i liked it (laughs) that's that's really good all right 14th academy awards we're we're going we're going we're going way back uh we haven't done this in a while i haven't gone back this far in a while um you know, Sergeant York has the most nominations. Uh, How Green Is My Valley has the most awards and wins Best Picture. But Citizen Kane, of course, is the most well-known movie out of this. Do you think that it's a good thing 
that it lost best picture. Yes. Yes, I do. I, I would have picked differently from how green was my Valley. I think this belongs to the Maltese Falcon personally. Great film, but I think citizen Kane losing best picture is a, you know, a, a little, a little dent in the legacy where people say, you know, this is the greatest film of all time. A lot of people say that a lot of critics, it has a hundred percent on Rotten Tomatoes. It's regarded, you know, it always makes it into the top three on these, you know, hundred of all time lists, like the Godfather, Godfather two and Citizen Kane almost every time. But I like knowing that it's flawed. It, I think it makes it a better movie. Honestly, I think it, it lets people kind of say, you know, Oh, I wasn't a fan. I don't think a lot of people get to say that about the Godfather, (laughs) but citizen Kane has that. And uh, I like that. I don't know why I like that, but I like that. I I, I think why you like that is, is because it allows it to be a stick it to the man film. (laughs) You know what? You might be right. It's, it allows it to be anarchist anti-establishment. It all, a, a fuck you movie, a movie that was like, fuck yeah, it lost because the Oscars don't mean shit. You know, it's one, it, it really is that way. And I 100% think that had it won, I, I just, you know, I think it would have messed with its legacy. Um, but, it, but it is up for some awards, man. And we're going to talk about them. So where do you want to start? Um, well, let's start at the bottom like we usually do. Best, yes, sir. Best scoring of a dramatic picture, Bernard Herman. And, uh, that's awesome. Bernard Herman is also the guy who composed the score for Psycho. And uh, genius. I mean, look how many names are on this. Jesus. There's like 20 people nominated for best scoring of a dramatic picture in 1942. These early Oscars, they were just handed out nominations to every fucking movie. It's crazy. <laughs> Like you played a note. Here you go. You played a note. Here you go. I don't recognize. I don't recognize any of these movies. Well, you got there's Sergeant York there. Oh, uh, my dumb little ass foxes. How green is my valley? Doctor Jekyll, Mister Hyde. My, I was looking at best scoring of a musical picture. My mistake. Oh, <laughs> like, I never. Where is Citizen Kane? Am I on the right page? <laughs> yeah, that's that's hilarious. Jesus, that's even more people. What the what the hell? All right. Yeah. Yeah. Best scoring of a dramatic picture. We have. This Woman is Mine by Richard Hageman. That Uncertain Feeling, Werner R. Heyman. Tanks a Million, Edward Ward. Suspicion, Franz Waxman. Great movie, Suspicion. Uh, Sundown, Miklos Rosa. So Ends Our Night, Louis Grunberg. Sergeant York, Max Steiner. Mercy Island, Cy Fewer and Walter Scharf. Lydia, Miklos Rosa again. The Little Foxes, Meredith Wilson. Ladies in Retirement, Morris Stoloff and Ernst Toch. King of the Zombies, Edward J.K. How Green Was My Valley, Alfred Newman. Hold Back the Dawn, Victor Young. Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, Franz Waxman. Citizen Kane, Bernard Herman. Cheers for Miss Bishop, Edward Ward. Ball of Fire, Alfred Newman. Backstreet, Frank Skinner. And All That Money Can Buy, Bernard Herman, the winner. So Bernard Herman did win. 20. Who whose idea was this? That is ridiculous. The Oscars. I, I, I don't know. You imagine if they did that today, and there were just like twenty nominations per. We would fucking hate the Oscars. Well, well yeah, we, we already have 
major issues with them all the time. But yeah, that would make it unwatchable. We'd equate it to the fucking MTV Movie Awards. Like this is ridiculous. The whole point oh, is like, man. to celebrate the best that film has to offer. Not every movie that came out. <laughs> Christ. Well, yeah, you got you got Bernard Herman who yeah gets the double nomination and the win, Citizen Kane, all the all that money can buy. So you know, not a lot we can say because there's so many fucking films, and of course we haven't seen them all. I watched most of Sergeant York in elementary school in history class. I barely remember it. A oh, fuck. I remember. Yeah, I know. I don't think that has <laughs> been going down. I was. I remember York making a gobble noise. And then waiting for the Germans to pop up and then sniping them. <laughs> hell yeah. Hell yeah. That's fantastic. <laughs> I, I, you know, we will one day, you know, do a best picture showdown with, with this year. That'll happen someday. Uh, not sure when, but very, very curious because there are some well-renowned films in this, this group. Yes, indeed. That takes us to film editing where we have the little foxes, how Green Was My Valley, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, Citizen Kane, and the winner, Sergeant York. And we're really not going to have much to talk about in terms of competition here, regrettably. It's just, you know, we haven't gotten to really tackle this, this Oscars. Well, yeah, that's, that, that's, you know, again, we'll be able to do that, do that one day, and we'll try to watch as many of these as we can. Yeah. In the meantime, you know, we'll just kind of tell you what was nominated, and if you want to go do that homework for yourself you know, be our guest. Or yeah, if you hear a movie you like, uh, give it a, give it an applause, you know, give it, clap for it. (laughs) (laughs) That takes us to best sound recording where we have another monster list of movies. Jesus. We have Topper Returns, Skylark, Sergeant York, The Men in Her Life, How Green Was My Valley, The Devil Pays Off, Citizen Kane, the Chocolate Soldier, Ball of Fire, Appointment for Love, and the winner, That Hamilton Woman. <laughs> I don't even... What the fuck? I've never heard of half of these. It's amazing how much was being churned out in Hollywood in the early years. Just, you know, 500 films a year. It was crazy. Just screwball comedy, screwball comedy, screwball comedy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, like, man, yeah. The 30s and 40s were wild, yeah. Yes, indeed. Best art direction, black and white. Good God. (laughs) (laughs) We have Sis Hopkins, though the nomination was withdrawn. Uh, When Ladies Meet, That Hamilton Woman, Sundown, The Son of Monte Cristo. I gotta look into that one. Sergeant, hell yeah. (laughs) The Little Foxes, Ladies in Retirement, Hold Back the Dawn. The Flame of New Orleans, Citizen Kane, and the winner, How Green Was My Valley. And I think the production design of Citizen Kane is fucking unreal. And how that lost is kind of crazy to me. I mean, he was doing things with production design that had never been done before. He was using camera tricks to make everything look bigger. He made this, you know, he made uh, Xanadu look almost like a, a tomb, like a pyramid for a great leader, you know? Oh, and, man. Yeah, he sh- I think that this film should have won Art Direction straight up. Uh, yeah, uh, we'll speak on Xanadu later. <laughs> <laughs> Oof. Cinematography, black and white. Uh, where is it? 
There it is. Yeah, these are the the order of these is bizarre. Yeah. Yeah, they're still working out the kinks. They don't have all the you know established nominate uh, categories, and what they do have is kind of a fucking mess. <laughs> well, yeah, this is this is about eighty shows ago. So yeah, <laughs> God, cinematography, black and white. That Hamilton woman, Sundown, Sun Valley Serenade, Sergeant York, Hold Back the Dawn. Here comes Mr. Jordan, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, Citizen Kane, The Chocolate Soldier, and the winner, How Green Was My Valley. Another Oscar, I think, should have gone to Kane. <laughs> uh, agreed. And this is, these are the things that people over time have been like, at, yeah, how, at any show, it should win all of those technical awards because of the way it moves and how influential it is. It's one, it's one of those, if you did the Oscars five years later, it went all of those. Yeah, absolutely. And now we have some big ones. Best director. We have Howard Hawks for Sergeant York, William Wyler for the little foxes, Alexander Hall for here comes Mr. Jordan, Orson Welles for citizen Kane, the winner, John Ford. How green was my Valley. Hard to beat John Ford. <laughs> this is a this is a big group here, my man. I mean, these are guys that are, you know, William Wyler, John Ford, multiple Howard Hawks, multiple Oscar nomination type guys that are you'll see their names a lot during uh, in these times, you know, in the classic eras of, you know, 30s and 40s. John John Ford is like you said, hard to beat. He's one of those names that you know, pops out. Is, is there anything that, you know, you know, Stagecoach and the Searchers, we talked about the Grapes of Wrath with uh, Henry Fonda. Is there anything that like stands out to you for him? Because he's just such a legend. Surprisingly, uh, The Quiet Man. Hell yeah. There you go. <laughs> I really enjoyed that. That was a very funny, very cute, out of left field John Wayne movie. And uh, I think Ford won for that too. <laughs> yes. Yeah, he did. Yeah. He was the, yeah. He and John Wayne were a good pair. I think, you know, their work together was very good. John Ford was just, you know, one of the best of the time. And I want to point out that this film is the only film Orson Welles was ever nominated for, for anything. Yeah. Yeah. He's amongst, he's amongst greatness right here in this group. He's a one-time guy. Yeah. Straight up. So have you seen how green was my Valley? I have not. It's one of the winners I have not been able to see. Uh, of course, we're going to base a show around it one day. I think I think Orson Welles should have should have taken this one. I think his dire his direction for Citizen Kane really is genius. And uh I would have liked to have seen him take this for his like, you know, for the for trying something new. I think it would have been cool to see the Oscars reward him for you know kind of sticking it to the way things were done. Yeah, changing changing things, changing the game, trying yeah, like this is art. I'm going to be artistic. I'm going to create something different. And we need people like that constantly to kind of change, change the game. The catfish should keep things fresh. And Orson Welles was certainly doing that with Citizen Kane. For sure, man. I, I, I want to see all these. Of course, we, we want to see everything. But Which one have you seen? Of these? Yeah. Of, just or, just of the directors, just Sergeant York and Citizen Kane. I haven't seen Here Comes Mr. Jordan, Little Foxes, or How Green. All right, what about the pick of uh, out of the best picture lineup? Just add Maltese to that, and that's it. Okay. Yeah, I'm about the same. Citizen Kane, Maltese, and Suspicion. Yeah, I, I'm. of course I need to see Suspicion, of course. That was a very smart movie. Yeah. Uh, ripe for a filmgasm, Suspicion. 
always. I mean, yeah, you got Cary Grant, Joan Fontaine, and I mean, fucking Hitchcock. Let's go. <laughs> Best actor. Orson Welles for Citizen Kane. Robert Montgomery for Here Comes Mr. Jordan. Walter Houston for All That Money Can Buy. Cary Grant for Penny Serenade. And the winner, Gary Cooper for Sergeant York. And uh, from the bit I do remember, yeah, I think this was this was good for Cooper. I think he took this one. Uh, He's excellent. He's excellent. I want it so cool because we, you know, got to watch him in the Pride of the Yankees. (laughs) And, you know, we we both fell in love with Walter Houston with Sierra Madre. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, Cary Grant, another guy we're very familiar with. I have not seen anything from Robert Montgomery, regrettably. Uh, Wells' performance in Citizen Kane. You know, he was juggling a lot of different hats for this film. In terms of performance, where do you think he ranks? I think it's excellent, uh, especially in the time you, you really look at it. He's doing the, the same. And this is one of my favorite parallels in, in Mank as well, is watching a guy through a specific time you know of course we see him as a kid but then we really see him in his 20s and then as he gets older as he gets older and how charles foster kane is just confused the entire time you know it doesn't you know quite know what he's looking for and even if he does he doesn't know how to do it and and i just love characters like this throughout film history and i think orson welles does a damn good job of it a a damn good job i think just just the the tone that he's able to get to his voice is incredible what the tone he's able to get to i'm charles foster kane you know those those pitches uh, they're very very authentic and and very incredible and i i was very very blown away by that part of the film this time around you know the technical stuff of course you know going into it you know it's just praised time and time again but orson is very very good he has a a star power in Citizen Kane, that's, that's, you just cannot take your eyes off his eyes. Uh, not just him, but his eyes. It's so crazy. For somebody 25 years old, he does play Kane like this is his, you know, 50th movie that he's been building his entire career towards. It feels yeah. like that, but it's his first movie. It really is so weird when you think about it like that. He does have like, 50 years worth of experience inside this guy's inside a 25 year old body. It feels like that. It's not that, but it feels like it. I mean, you know, I buy him as, you know, 60, 70 year old Kane who's like lost everything he's ever cared about. And that's, that's pretty admirable and pretty uh, amazing. Not a lot of actors can do that. Oh no. Put that shit on the line. I mean, clearly messes up you can mess up your career obviously (laughs) (laughs) yeah and and it has done it to other actors as well um it can it can mess with you when when you when you do when you do that shit you know and can mess with the rest of your career you know uh there's something to say about when you raise the bar that high where do you go from there (laughs) what do you do what do you do especially in our eyes as as we just fucking interrogate and dissect every little thing about about movies you know 80 years passes and this movie still stands you know we just find any little thing we can to critique it or you know poke holes in it because it's looked at as the greatest movie ever made you know fuck man you know you got you got to give the guy his props for the film just still standing today as it does 
because it's 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 still a mind melter man (laughs) very true but like you said you know it can like where do you go from there and orson wells really didn't i mean he did a lot of you know cool roles you know touch of evil the stranger but nothing ever on the same level as citizen king yeah i wonder if that haunted him a hundred percent i think you can see it i think throughout his career i watched uh, f for fake from the mid seventies, like a docudrama that he did. You, you, you can see these things, you know, this man, this man's identity is, um, you know, in his own mind is in question, <laughs> you know, what he, what he's supposed to do, uh, what his job is, uh, what his, you know, duty is here on earth. And it, it clearly, clearly make battle with some of the same things. Right. Uh, and it's just so cool how those, you know, Mank and Kane just kind of parallel in, the, in that way. You're just watching these guys like, oh, man, nobody really likes them by the end. You know, just damn tough stuff. You said in your review for for Kane, um, you know, having all the money really means nothing. You know, that sort of thing. Having if you even if you're the richest guy in the world, richest guy in the country, just doesn't really mean nothing if you have if you have nothing else. Yeah, it's true. Like what, you know, nobody can buy love. And uh, one bit I did want to, I did want to bring up from Mank that I absolutely adored was yeah. the introduction of Orson Welles. When Orson Welles meets Mank, he comes in like the fucking devil in a dark, like a dark costume, dark hat. Like he looks like a stranger who is going to buy your soul. And he's, and Mank is, you know, shrouded in, like he, he's wearing a light, jacket it looks like good and evil and they have that handshake mank yeah i'm orson wells we should talk and it just feels so demonic it feels like mank is selling his soul right there and in a way he kind of was yeah man it's <laughs> Fucking you know hell. yeah fincher's not afraid to be cynical <laughs> no shit <laughs> <laughs> Did we talk about? I feel like we brought that up on Fight Club. We talked about how Fincher World is like the worst version of that world. (laughs) Yeah, well, yeah, he likes he likes people who are trapped, and and Mank talked about how he felt like he was trapped, and you know, at the end of the film, it it states that you know, and yeah, Fincher, I would say, is to me the master of the modern you know suspense, whatever thriller, whatever all that stuff you entangled in one with, you know he's able to rally around this, you know, quote unquote piece of shit over and over and just trap him and trap him and trap him and make him make these crazy decisions over and over and scratch and claw. And it's fascinating to watch, whether it be uh, Robert Graysmith and Zodiac or Mark Zuckerberg and social network, or, uh, you know, I can't remember the character's name, Michael Douglas in the game, uh, Brad Pitt in seven, Jesus Christ. Uh, the narrator Tyler Durden the narrator and Fight Club you know these guys are you guys are trapped in some of the darkest ways uh, that you can put on the screen true very true with before we get to best picture let's talk about the one that it did win best original screenplay yes we have Tom Dick and Harry by Paul Jericho Tall Dark and Handsome by Carl Tunberg and Daryl Ware Sergeant York by John Houston Howard Koch Abram Finkel and Harry Chandley. The Devil and Miss Jones by Norman Krasna 
and Citizen Kane, winner by Herman J. Mankiewicz and Orson Welles. And uh, <laughs> yeah, fucking of course this was going to win screenplay. <laughs> this, we, there's a whole fucking movie about why this deserved to win screenplay. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's why we brought brought him up, and that's why you know we're doing these movies and talking about them. And I love that it's Citizen Kane, Herman J. Mankiewicz, and Orson Welles. <laughs> oh man, <laughs> and that's that that's uh, something we didn't really touch on that moment in the movie when Gary Oldman <laughs> when when Mank says, "I want credit," <laughs> like it's such an inc- like it's such a horrible request to want to be credited for your own fucking work. And, uh, you know, I, I like saw Sirius Black for a second. <laughs> uh, it's the best thing I've ever written. You know, like I, I, I want what's mine in this one. You know, I've been I've been fucked over a lot. I've fixed a lot of screenplays and not gotten any credit. I want credit on this one. And then you have Orson, you breaching the contract. Oh, such a good scene. Well, I love when he chucks the, the, the chest of alcohol and Mank is not fight back he's like that's what we need and starts writing down a scene god damn it's funny that Beautiful. you see that you saw serious black because i saw jim gordon oh yeah that's wonderful yeah we we both saw the franchise gary oldman yeah beautiful yeah i mean he he was great i i actually think that there's something in my gut that tells me this performance is is going to be undervalued and underappreciated um for uh, until until later down the line i really do uh, i just i think people just miss sh- shit sometimes and yeah. you know when so many great things are happening on the screen and amanda seyfried is so good yeah i just i, I still stand by i think gary oldman uh so far from what i've seen has one of the strongest performances of of the year by by far you know as much as i would love to see you know Gary Oldman take home a second statue. As as far as 2020 goes, I am still very much rooting for Delroy Lindo. <laughs> now I'm thinking I'm I'm hoping Delroy's supporting. Maybe. Maybe. I don't know. That one's tough. With Trial of the Chicago Seven, supporting is gonna be fucking loaded. So it very well could be. Yeah, very well. Oi. Can't wait. I think the Oscars are uh, late April this year next year yeah yeah i wonder where they're gonna put the cutoff for consideration i think it's somewhere i I think they have announced that but i'm not i'm not sure exactly i would i would assume they moved it you know typically you know the show has been in february the past few years so typically they would put it somewhere in december right but with with this year i don't know maybe they'll push it to early 2021 I don't know, but I, I do think Oldman as, of course, Mank and Amanda Seyfried as Marion Davies, I, I think they both have a chance at, at doing something, but I don't know. Again, something deep down tells me Oldman will be a little bit forgotten in this one. Well, I mean, it's not like that. You know, there's not precedent for that. He, it took him 30 fucking years of a career to finally even get nominated. Yeah. I mean, and, and you know, we got to talk about him uh, a little bit, a little bit more over on filmgasm with uh the fifth element and you know that's that right there is a great way you look at the fifth element you look at mank that's the same guy <laughs> it is really hard to believe it's amazing i you can do that with every film he ever did 
basically true romance, you know, lately on the professional, uh, Sirius Black, Gordon, you know, these, those, those major characters. Yeah. Anything. Tinker Taylor, Darkest Hour. This guy's just a Titan. He really is. I, do you think he'll, do you think he'll get nominated at the very least? I really hope so. I, I do. I do. I think he'll get nominated. I think this movie will get a lot of nominations. I'm not sure about wins, but I think it's going to get nominated a lot. I think it's going to get a lot of love. Uh, just it, it's, it's a, you know, it's about Hollywood. And I think those movies do well. Yeah. And, and I'm, I'm with you. I would love to see Fincher finally get, finally get that, that award. They do love a good old Hollywood self slow stroke, don't they? Yeah. Yes, they do. <laughs> Speaking of Hollywood self uh, slow strokes, let's talk about Best Picture 1942. Hell yeah. We have Suspicion, Sergeant York, One Foot in Heaven, The Maltese Falcon, The Little Foxes, Hold Back the Dawn, Here Comes Mr. Jordan, Citizen Kane, Blossoms in the Dust, and the winner, How Green Was My Valley. And I can't really speak for this, but if it was my pick, I would I would give it to The Maltese Falcon. I love that. I, lo- I love that. That's really cool. I really want to rewatch that. And again, I think it's going to be really cool to do this year on a best picture showdown, uh, just like any year. It's going to be so much fun to keep doing those. But I, I, you know, I, I give it to Kane from what I've seen, but I also stand by what I said about how, or what we both said about how it's good for its legacy that it didn't win. (laughs) So it'd be, so it'd be great for Falcon to win. I, I, I don't know, man. I'm I'm excited to see how green my, uh, was my valley. Uh, it's one of the winners I've just never touched. I would have also, just because I've always thought he was super underappreciated, I would have given a supporting actor nod to Peter Lorre for the Maltese Falcon. But that's like for that. another that's for another podcast. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna we're gonna get deep into that uh, when when we can. Our next best picture showdown, the next one that's coming up, will be episode thirty. So we're going to do them every five, you know, episode 30, 35, 40. And, you know, one day we'll do, yeah, we'll do the films of 1941. It'll be great. Absolutely. Can't wait. So those are the Oscars, which means it's time to talk about Citizen Kane. Yes, it is. It's time to give out some awards for the film itself and just, just talk a little bit more about Kane. Um, when did, I don't think you clearly, or if I, if I totally asked you earlier, what was the first time you saw this? Cause I, I was about four years ago for me. I watched, all right. My, my first time with Citizen Kane was my sophomore year of college. So that was about 2014. Okay. So and going on about six years or so. Okay. Okay. It was in my intro to film class. And um, we, she had us watch a whole bunch of films to kind of get the lay of the land, you know, Chinatown, um, Trip to the Moon, Great Train Robbery, uh, The Godfather, like just, you know, some classics. And Citizen Kane was on that, was, was there. And we did that one week when we were talking about depth of field. And I watched it and I, I wasn't in that into it. I was very much like, this is a lot of just talking in this. Like I hadn't really seen a lot. I didn't really appreciate it that much. And I didn't finish it. I stopped. And here we are six years later, much more, I'm much more well-rounded when it comes to film. I can appreciate things like this. I watch it and I'm glued to the screen. I, I understand it now. I, I can, I, I love that. 2016 or 2014 Connor couldn't care less. 2020 Connor 
couldn't care enough. <laughs> <laughs> it's wonderful. Story story of our lives here. Um, yeah, man. I, I yeah, I feel like that's a pretty similar similar road we've had. Where the first time we saw it, we weren't just totally blown away like most people are. Um, well, like most people, that's actually an interesting thing. I find it, I find that a lot of young people just don't really connect with it with Citizen Kane. They don't they don't care. It's boring to them. It's the the opening narrations like what is this like you know just totally you know just they a lot of young people disregard a lot of my friends you know a lot of people i know that are just like ah not for me you know that's that's fine but i'm glad we have a space here for two young people to talk about it because we are we we are not geniuses in this in this this field we're not uh, we're on a journey we're trying to learn more and Citizen Kane is one of those films that builds that builds you up as a as a film fan as 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 a cinephile. It builds you up and allows you to see more and opens you up to new things because you finally realize all the influence that it had. That's why it's so powerful. And that's why I'm so glad we're able to do this because I just don't think there's a lot of 25 year olds just out there, you know, trying to really appreciate what's happening in Citizen Kane. Um. Of course, with the release of Mank, people will probably be like, hmm, maybe should I do that? I hope so. I hope so. I, I think it's totally necessary to appreciate both films, watch them both. I, I, I really do. I, I think it's, that's the way to go with this. And I certainly had a blast watching these. I, I basically watched them within the same, I don't know, 12 hours. Uh, just, just an awesome day. Yeah, I did the same thing. I watched Citizen Kane in the afternoon. I watched Mank that evening. Yeah. Yeah. Same, same, same. <laughs> Great day. <laughs> Killer. Yeah. And I do think, you know, we're very much a niche. We're not, you know, we watch everything. There's very few people who do that. And especially at our age. And we are trying to become as rounded as possible and see as much as possible so we can understand the great ongoing journey that is film. It's yes. always changing and we, you know, we want to know where it came from. We want to know the films that were significant along, along the journey. And Citizen Kane is one of those films. And it's very important, I think, to a, uh, to a cinephile to give this movie a chance. There's things in this film that, like, this is the first time they've ever been implemented when it comes to yeah. Yeah. You know, camera tricks. And, like, I was, just, I was mentioning depth of field their cameras were not like that it was shoot and talk that's all it was for most of hollywood for a long time citizen kane comes along and orson wells is manipulating the camera to create kind of visual effects that without really you know trying it's so strange there's a scene where they're in xanadu kane's temple and they're talking and Orson Welles just starts walking to the back of the room, but you can still hear him. That was weird in 1941. <laughs> yeah. This is not something that people did. And after Citizen Kane came out, everybody was doing it. It, this movie set a standard that no other film before it had done since like the beginning of, like since Edison, really, 
So I credit Citizen Kane with basically starting a complete cinematic revolution, even if they didn't know they were doing it. So yeah, if you're into, if you're into movies, give this a chance. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, well said. Uh, yeah. That's as simply as it can be put is give, give it a chance. You know, I, I know plenty of people, my, my older brother who I, I adore and he loves movies. He just hasn't seen it yet. And, you know, I'm, I, I really hope he, he gets a chance to, to check it out because like you said, you'll just notice things. You'll just notice things like the audio, you know, the editing is just incredible to say what's happened, what's going to happen at the beginning of the film that the main character is dead at the very beginning of the movie. Okay. You know, doesn't matter. They keep you, they keep you on the hook the entire time. The, you know, something that has been mastered and has been copied over and over again with massive films like the Godfather Two, the narrative of going back and forth, flashback, stay, go back, flashback, go back. And that's another great thing about Mank that they do that over and over, over and over going to 1932, back to 1940, back to 1934, back to 1940. And then in Kane, it's going all over the place. So cool. So cool how it, how, it, how it goes through time, but still captures these different little things and tells you exactly what's going to happen at the very beginning. <laughs> but but you, you're along for the ride. It's about the journey. You know, you buy the ticket, you take the ride with Citizen Kane and you're rewarded. Like hand over fist, you're rewarded as a movie, movie fan, as a, again, as a cinephile. Um, let's, uh, let's give this movie some awards. I think, I think this is going to be really, really interesting. Um, to this show before thank you thanks for coming back we have the tarantino award for best quote or line we have the ennio morricone award for best music moment we have the philip seymour hoffman award for best performance and then we have the roger deakins award for the best moment or scene of the movie so connor yes what is your tarantino i have two and uh i think they both uh represent very different sides of Charles Foster Kane. And uh, I'll, I'll just go ahead. So my first one is right when Kane buys the Inquirer. And they're wondering, you know, how are we going to cover this, the, uh, the budding war that's going on? And Kane says, you provide the prose poems, I'll provide the war. Oh. And it's almost verbatim what William Randolph Hearst really said about the Spanish-American War. He really did say, you know, I'll provide the war. And that's something we haven't really touched on is how... It was coming. It was coming. Yeah. <laughs> this movie is one big fuck you to William Randolph Hearst, maybe the most powerful man in the world at the time. <laughs> yeah, which, of course, Charles Foster Kane is looked at as most important man in, within the film. Yeah. Yeah. And... Uh, Hearst tried very, very hard to get this film destroyed, to get it shelved. He had Louis B. Mayer be his, you know, fucking gopher to get this film shelved at MGM. But they got it out there, and here we are talking about it 80 years later. Incredible. <laughs> oh, man, so good. Yeah. Uh, you go, and then I'll do my second one. Okay, sounds good. Uh, this would come from uh, Jedediah Leland. Uh, that's a great performance from Joseph Cotton throughout. Uh, and it's, you know, uh, again, it's, you know, playing with, you know, the flashbacks and then going to current time when he's doing, you know, this interview, right. Uh, 
Jedediah is, and he's got this kind of kind of weird visor on, uh, kind of a, a robe and some fucking like Hunter S. Thompson style glasses, and he keeps asking for cigars, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he, he says something that just kind of just kind of rings with me and and kind of makes me question sometimes you know i question a lot like why do i just watch so many movies and you know just kind of you know i'm just cramming my brain with so much stuff and jedediah says i can remember everything that's my curse young man it's the greatest curse that's ever been inflicted on the human race memory ah you know and that's that's so much happening in one sentence it's like a fucking bible verse it's great it's crazy what it speaks to for for film for the future of film for directors writers actors and just and just human beings man <laughs> this the, the the authenticity of of saying that god damn memory is memory will fuck with you <laughs> and it'll drive you crazy because you 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 know can't quite wrap your hands around it <laughs> and i i love that and i think it's a really wonderful performance from joseph cotton um, and, and Leland is you know, Jedediah Leland is such a fascinating character. Yes, indeed. Good pick. That's a very powerful line. And um, I was very much more following Kane just because of the way, the way he talked, the way he Oof. always knew he was the most powerful man in the room. Everything he said had purpose. Yeah. And I love this line because I think it's the only time in the movie where he is truly honest. And he says, if I hadn't been very rich, I might've been a very great man. Ah, I knew that. (laughs) I knew it. Yeah, man. That's, that's another one. Powerful. My God. It's, you know, we're watching a man basically show different sides of himself to different sides of the world. You know, there's Charles Foster Kane, the newspaper man. There's, there's Charles Foster Kane, the romantic, Charles Foster Kane, the budding politician. But that's the only time where he's Charles Foster Kane, the man. Just that one brief bit right there. Mm. Man, incredible. Great, great, great call to pinpoint that moment in the film where it's definitely purposeful to have that, you know, a singular human moment, you know, within the film. Yeah. Ah, genius, genius <laughs> stuff. It really is. It's a, it's a strong screenplay. <laughs> yeah. What, fuck yeah, man. <laughs> well done. Well done, Mank. Uh, well, let's move to the Inyo Morricone Award. Um, we got some, we got some powerhouse, powerhouse music going on in this movie. Something that is well-respected and well-renowned now uh, over time, just influenced kind of, you know, that you could even, you can even hear it within, uh, you know, the film noir era and you look out through the sixties and how it just keeps getting, tries to be replicated. Even something like uh, from last year, like motherless Brooklyn is trying to do the same, same fucking kind of score. And I, I love that. I love, I love the tone of it. And uh, I, I think this is gonna be a fun award, man. What, what do you have? <laughs> um, I have the Charlie Kane song. <laughs> yes. So when they're at, when they're at dinner. Yeah. Yeah, when they're celebrating the paper and they're just yeah, like, you yeah, know, yeah. singing this song about Charlie Kane because it has such a Disney quality to it. It feels like a bad guy's song from a Disney movie. Okay, right? We just did, yes, we just did all these, all, watched all these Disney movies uh, last week. We did uh, Beauty and the Beast. And I was like, 
is that scar yeah (laughs) it is such a weird moment it's these people singing about their boss it's so fucked up especially by today's standards of employment and i would never you know you never see something like that now because i'm you know kane is not a good man he never was a good man and for them to sing his praises like that it's surreal and it kind of goes against everything you're led to believe about who he is but they seem to love him. And yeah, yeah I just, I, th- I was really kind of drawn into that in a way I wasn't expecting to be. I, I was too. And I was, what I was, you know, I'll, I'll, you know, capitalize on that. I was really drawn into the, uh, again, um, Jedediah Leland, that character, the way the, uh, I'll bring up the audio, the way that we're able to hear his side conversation while also knowing exactly what's going on within it's like, well, how are you doing that, man? That's stuff that people don't pay attention to now where you're not totally toning out everything that's happening in the room just because it's a fucking movie. Real life doesn't work that way. So Leland is, is forced to kind of like talk, you know, in between what he you know, when he can and, and kind of whisper a little bit. And it's, ah, it's such a genius little bit. I, I love that you picked that. Uh, Bernard Herman, you know, composed the, the, the score here and this is this is this is a titan this is a guy who you brought up psycho uh, how about north by northwest how about the man who knew too much in vertigo how about citizen kane how about the the day the earth stood still how about cape fear how about fahrenheit 451 how about taxi driver right before he died Fucking hell. <laughs> the guy the guy knows what he's doing when it comes to you know making music uh died at 64 you know really really sucks but he's a name that I've like, Oh my God, that keeps coming up. <laughs> and, and there's a reason why uh, track six uh, for me off of this particular score of citizen Kane is my Inyo award. And uh, it's the title of the track is Charles meets Thatcher. Um, just look it up. It's about a minute and 30 seconds. Just look it up and, you know, turn that shit up full blast. It'll, 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 it'll stir you up. It'll move you. And it'll make you want to watch some movies. <laughs> Fantastic. Oh, yeah. Herman's score, beautifully understated, but just powerful enough to creep into your brain and stay with you. It really is impressive work. Yeah, it definitely just creeps, just kind of seeps into your soul <laughs> like, <laughs> like this like this film kind of does. Just take some time. Oh, so good. We uh, we got we got, you know, one of our favorite things to talk about in this entire show, the PSH, the Philip Seymour Hoffman. Uh, sometimes it can be, you know where we totally agree. Uh, what, what do you have here? I, I know it's predictable, but honestly, he is amazing at Orson Welles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I thought, about, thought about going a different route, but uh, I don't know, man. When, when I really thought about it, and I thought about that, that scene when he freaks out and throws everything in the room, oh, man, that is, that is some of the, you know, most dominant acting I, I, I've seen in, in years. <laughs> Dude, the intensity of his applause at Susan's opera, just the like burning daggers into everything around him because he knows like, no, she is good. God damn it. Like she deserves this. When they mock her, they mock me. Like you could see all that in his eyes. It's, it's incredible. <laughs> yeah. Jesus. Yeah. It, it, his eyes, obviously it's a huge distinguishable part of, of his, you know, his features and his face. And you, you know who it's Orson when you see his eyes. Cause throughout his career, he had a beard, didn't have a beard. 
this and that, but you always knew with the eyes, that's, that's Orson. And that guy just, just stares into you, you know? And I, I, I love it, man. I mean, when he screams, you know, I'm Charles Foster Kane. I, I really couldn't help but think of Daniel Plainview. I really couldn't. And just, I will drink your milkshake. You know, <laughs> I, I, I love characters like that, man. I love them. That's beautiful. Yeah, I can see, you know, I could totally see Daniel Plainview trying to run for office just so he can, you know, fuck up a competitor. Bill the Butcher? <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah, these these are characters I, 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 like, I definitely feel, like, attached to. They're just so entertaining. And, and that's who they, that's who I got, was reminded of, for sure. Beautiful. Well, that takes us to the Deacon's Ward. <laughs> oh, man. This is, like, I... I you know, you can look up lists online and they just have every scene fucking ranked because this is how, you know, well-respected the movie is. But this is going to be interesting, man. What do you have? I have something I don't think uh, a lot of people consider to be such a powerful scene. But to me, it represented something very interesting about Kane. And it's the scene where Kane first meets Susan. Mm, great choice from the meeting on her porch to talking in her apartment because Kane has never done that before you get to see a, a, a side of himself where he's almost nervous where he is trying to impress her because she doesn't know who he is and this is the first person who he's met in maybe his entire life who didn't know who he was and he gets to be a little human and talk to her, talk to her organically. And they're even their meeting. It isn't arranged. It's not at a party. It's it's he runs into her on the street after she, he gets splashed by a car. And she's just like, Hey, I can, you want some hot water? And he's like, you know what? Okay. And goes into her apartment. It's just so sweet. Their relation, like the way their relationship starts. He really is like, you know, I'd love to hear you sing. And she's like, really? It feels so, so sweet. It's so against everything we've seen him be and everything we see him be after it's like a brief window where he almost can he almost like thinks about maybe i could be happy but he fucks it up because that's in his nature happiness does not exist for charles foster kane he his yeah his ego and selfishness will will rise above it Mm. oh man that is that's powerful, powerful interpretation of that moment in the movie and that moment for, for cinema. Um, I don't know why, but my mind was going to 1985's Purple Rose of Cairo as you were talking, thinking about Jeff Daniels and how he breaks through the screen and has these moments of like these, these just the, the magic in movies and Orson kind of does that in that moment that you brought up. And this, this happens time and time again, where maybe a guy that we disagree with or, uh, you know, don't see eye to eye with, he gets humanized and we are forced to be like, ah, Hey, he's not such a bad guy. Uh, that shit will happen over and over movies and will still continue to happen forever. When you take a, a guy who has, yeah, bad habits or is a villain and you humanize him for just a little bit, you know, and Citizen Kane is 
you know, maybe not the first to do that, but it's certainly the most, you know, well-respected movie to do so. <laughs> yeah. It's Vito Corleone playing with his grandson. It's... <laughs> exactly. Exactly. You know, you can bring up so many films that we've talked about and there, there's like a specific moment in the movie where that's what's happening is, Hey, we're going to, I, uh, something super subtle in Charlie Chicago seven. When we see Joseph Gordon-Levitt with his two daughters, whoa! I don't want to feel for that guy. God damn it! But you, but you do. Shit, you do. I love that. I love. I love that. That's a. That's a really good call, man. Um, I have a hard time topping that, but I. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll, the Deacons, on my side, it goes to the. I'll call it the intro. Uh, Xanadu. The transition of Xanadu. Uh, at, you know, changing changing over time, moving to different, you know, it's a, you know, we have a zoo, we see a zoo at one point (laughs) and that how it moves right there. It's the beginning of the film. How it moves is so key, especially this time around for me. I got locked in when I saw that, you know, me, I'm big on atmosphere. I'm big on, on, on what's going on around, you know, with the camera and who's in control. And I felt like I was in, some of the best hands ever when that transition is happening shit just when he says rosebud and drops you know drops and you know the way the camera is focused unfocused and steadily you know steadily moving about in a way that's not just hey let's look at the star and you know point the camera here like you said it's allowing kane to walk and move and i think the beginning of the film that intro of Xanadu changing over time. And then you have the narration and I, I, I don't think you can top it. I don't think there's a movie that opens up so strongly. The first, first 30 minutes of this movie fucking slaps. It's incredible. <laughs> and, and I think it has a lot to do with that really powerful intro of bringing you into this, into this specific realm, the specific world of Citizen Kane and you can't beat it. Beautiful. Beautiful. I love that from the get go, you had your deacons. Like it was like immediate, like, fuck you. Oh man. I, yeah. it, for, for sure. I, and you know, I think the scene when he fucking, you know, is holding the suitcase and then nah, fuck it and throws it and just destroys everything in the room. That's a great scene, but I've seen that before. I've seen guys do that. I think I've seen guys do that better, but I, I don't, I don't think I've ever seen a movie do what citizen Kane does at the beginning so skillfully 80 fucking years ago. I just don't think I've seen it. Yeah. See, it's shit like that is the reason we're still talking about it. It's, it really is the beginning of something amazing for Hollywood. Oh, wonderful. Powerful, powerful stuff. (laughs) Um, You know, there's plenty of places to hear about this film and, and read about it. So I, we really appreciate if you, you know, you're along for this ride and, Hope you, you know, reevaluate Citizen Kane, keep watching it and check out more of Mank's stuff, you know, and, and, and definitely watch Mank on Netflix. <laughs> Hell yeah. Even if you know the story, it's an amazing watch. Yeah, man. Yeah, man. Uh, Citizen Kane, for, for you, is it something that you're like, all right, I'm going to probably put this in the arsenal and watch it every couple of years or so? Or how do you feel about that? Like the, the way for your, the legacy for you as a watcher? I'll definitely be watching this again. I think this is a, a great film to kind of 
almost uh, appreciate things that come after. Like I can use this film to identify camera tricks and, you know, dialogue. I feel like I'm going to mine this movie for gold. <laughs> it's that kind of film. A hundred percent. I feel the exact same way. I feel, I feel the same way about this one. I, again, uh, same way I do about another forties film. Charles uh, of Sarah Madre. I, I'm not done with that one. <laughs> you know, that one's, that one's, you, you actually bought that one for me. I, that one's on the shelf and it's not going anywhere. And Citizen Kane's the same way. I've owned Citizen Kane for a while. I just haven't, I, I was waiting for something and this was it. <laughs> yeah. This was it. It's, it's, it's so nice to be able to, you know, just kind of allow these thoughts to organically come out. Cause you and I, we did not talk about how we felt about this shit until we recorded. And that was very hard to do <laughs> because, because, you know, I had, you know, obviously we both had things kind of oozing out of us about Citizen Kane, about its importance. So this was a blast. Yeah, this was nuts. I enjoyed doing this. It, I feel a little bit more rounded, just, a, you know, a bit, but I can, I can feel it. Nice. It's something. It's something. Yeah. It's like when someone asks you, do you feel older? And you're like, no, no, no. Yes, I finally do. <laughs> Hell yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, this was great. Um, I'm going to give Citizen Kane an eight, but it is a strong eight and it may go up in the future. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm sticking with nine, but it's like right there. It is right there, right at the 10 mark. I, I really do think it'll take probably one or two more rewatches in the future to to get it up there. And I've, I'm always working on a, you know, top 100 films of all time list that just kind of changes for me all the time. And this is, this is going to be slotted in there. Hell yeah, absolutely. And uh, yeah. Anything else you want to add about Citizen Kane? No, I don't. Um, You know, we did, we mentioned Hearst really late in the show. That was intentional. Um, I did not want it to become a show about that. There's a lot of podcasts and again, books and different things that talk about the development and, uh, what it, the film represents. We want to talk more about the actual stuff happening on screen and talk a little bit about pride of the Yankees and Mank. Um, I, I, I think there's time and place for different conversations and you could do a 10 part fucking podcast on citizen Kane. So um, it's, it's one of those films. <laughs> yeah. Well said. I do like, you know, the way we approach film is very much, you know, within the confines of the screen. And yeah. 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 And as we get older, you know, we might, we might, that might change a little bit, but, but you and I are so about the product and we've, we've gotten to a place where we, we, we know this industry is riddled with monsters and fucking rats and no, it's not always going to be, you know, the best news when you hear about how a movie was made, you you just, you got to remember, Hey, appreciate the piece of art. Yeah, exactly. So with that, let's talk about what happened this week in film. Fuck yeah. Lots of, uh, well, I don't know about lots, but like something huge. (laughs) We won't be doing that many of these considering this segment is going to basically evolve into our new show premiering January 4th. Yes. Uh, For more on that, check out our Fifth Element episode. That was fun. That was fun. So starting out on a sad note, um, Star Wars actor David Prowse has died at 85 years old from an undisclosed illness. David Prowse portrayed the body of Darth Vader in the original Star Wars trilogy. Jeremy Earl Jones provided the voice. And uh, yeah, the Star Wars community will be missing him. Yeah, 
very yeah it's very sad when you lose like a vital part to the beginning stages of something you are attached to that that very much sucks well that there's so few actors from the original star wars still left exactly exactly you know you're looking at you know this is going on over 40 years right uh since that that first film was made so it's tough man yeah it's a shame next up uh, James Wan and Overlord director Julius Avery are developing a new Van Helsing movie for Universal. Uh, okay. okay. I've okay. heard they've, <laughs> they've announced this like six times in the past 10 years. Are they ever going to actually make a Van Helsing movie? I don't know. And I don't care. I happen to enjoy the Hugh Jackman one from 2004. I know a lot of people hate that movie. I find it very entertaining. And I know that they're going to try too hard unless, you know, I say, give it to Blumhouse and uh, Lee Winnell. They, they know what they're doing. Oh, but, Lee Winnell definitely knows what he's doing, but we'll see. Uh, it was announced the Oscars are not going to be done through zoom. Like the Emmys were, they are going to be an in-person telecast. And uh, I don't know if that's the smartest way to go. Uh, it is, you know, April 25th. So hope maybe we're going to have shit at least partially taken care of by then, hopefully. But uh, I don't know, maybe that, I would bet money that that changes. Yeah, I, yeah, I agree. I, it's, you know, four or five months away, but yeah, it's going to change, I think. Another sad note, um, actor Hugh Keys Byrne has died at 73. He's known for playing t- uh, the villain Toe Cutter in Mad Max and Immortan Joe in Mad Max Fury Road. Another badass villain who will be missed we lost darth vader and Morton joe in the same week <laughs> fucking ridiculous man the nerds are mourning and we are two of those nerds yeah um oscar isaac has been tapped to star as solid snake in a film adaptation of the video game metal gear solid did you ever play that Oh, fuck yeah. Snake is a badass. I also would play with Snake on um, uh, Super Smash Bros. I, uh, I could never get into Metal Gear. I tried. I couldn't figure out the button scheme after like 20 minutes. And I was like, this, I don't know. I was terrible it. at it. I was terrible at it. I, I'm not a, not a good gamer, though. I'm more of just like, whoa, this is cool. And then I put it, put it down after like a week. Yeah. I have my favorites, but I don't really experiment with games. And I just, with the podcast, I don't really... I've focused almost night, you know, all of my attention into film. <laughs> Me, same, same. <laughs> um, two trailers I want to talk about before we get to the big news of the week. Um, the Mauritanian, first of all. A uh, biopic set to release in, I believe, February, uh, starring Jodie Foster, Shailene Woodley, and Benedict Cumberbatch. And it's the story of... Uh, a suspected terrorist who is held in Guantanamo Bay for six years without bail and the lawyers who tried to free him. Interesting idea. Uh, I know nothing about this story. I'm going to try to keep it that way because I'd like to go into this one blind. But uh, what do you think? Yeah, same. I'm not going to try to read anything about it. I trust trust what's going on there and I'm just going to try to go into it blind. Yeah, straight up. The other trailer we have is The Dig starring Carrie Mulligan and Ray Fiennes. Also a true story about a massive archaeological find that was discovered in the hills behind a woman's home in England around the time World War II broke out. 
and this will be on Netflix at the end of January. And this looks sweet. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to this one. Yeah, same, same. This is, uh, this is one that I was going to bring up uh, to, to you earlier on the show, but I was like, oh, fuck, I'll wait. <laughs> this, yeah, this, this is one that we, um, we definitely will try to do on the show. Yeah, indeed. Uh, sneak preview is you know, ripe for something like that. Exactly, and, uh, exactly. <laughs> Netflix is going to be our best friend for quite a while. <laughs> and uh, speaking of streaming, this was huge news. Warner Brothers has announced that they have committed to a one-year deal with HBO Max, where they are going to be debuting their entire 2021 film slate on that streaming service and theaters simultaneously. This includes films like Dune, The Suicide Squad, In the Heights, The Matrix 4, and many others. This is pretty detrimental to the theaters. They are pissed. Yeah, and of course you and I are devastated with the news for the theater. And this sucks very much for that experience and that part of the whole movie, you know, movie experience and what we love about it. But I do want to stay positive because it is a one-year deal. It's not, it's not a lifelong deal. It's not, it's not a five-year contract. It's a one-year deal of saying, hey, let's get on track. Let's get on board here. Let's knock this thing out by next year. Let, let's, get, let's get that experience back. You know, let's get that magic back because we want it. We got to work for it. We haven't, we haven't worked for it as a society. We don't deserve to have it back. So let's work for it. You know, let's, let's, let's do this. Otherwise more shit like this is going to happen. And that we do not want more stuff like this to happen. But if this is an example, so be it. God damn. That's dark, but yeah, makes sense. We have fucked this up on every level. And uh, yeah, I think it's going to be a long time before we get any kind of normalcy in the theater. I mean, and everywhere else, really. I mean, this is going to be interesting to see how the next couple of years unfolds, but uh, you know, I'm always razor focused on the entertainment industry and I am going to be monitoring how this works out for theaters and we will have updates on the sneak preview. Oh yes. Always. And obviously we'll be doing all of those, you know, uh, Dune is a very anticipated film and, is ripe for filmgasm and sneak preview. So that's what we're going to do. <laughs> yes, indeed. Looking forward to that. And that is all I have for this week in film. What are we tackling next week? Next week is very, very special. We are doing a Regina King showcase based around her Oscar winning performance. And if Bill street could talk, uh, I, you know, really wanted to do a, a female performer this, this upcoming week. We have been doing these shows based around individuals and it's time. It's time we do a, an actress and I, I love her to death. This is the only Oscar nomination she has. So that's that's all we're really going to talk about in depth is if Bill Street could talk. Uh, we'll, we'll do a little bit about her career in, in that Oscar show, the uh, 91st Academy Awards. Uh, Bill Street was up for three altogether. Uh, Regina King was the only one who won for the film. Um, I'm very, very excited. I thought a lot about who to do for this episode a lot of different women came to mind but if i'm being honest with myself you know regina king is you know like one of my cinematic heroes from friday to beale street i i adore everything she's done in between uh i'm very very excited for that next week fantastic yeah and you know me i'm on board for whatever you got planned so oh yeah the film we got to see in theaters two years ago yes at the bijou yeah film i had not intended to see 
until you invited me. And then I was very glad I watched it. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, you know, the James Baldwin novel, I had read it and then I was like, Oh, I think Connor would really dig this story. Cause it's a very, very good story. Well, well-developed, well-written, all, all of those things. Uh, and then just got some awesome performances inside of it. So we'll, we'll have a lot of fun with that one next week. Uh, it's not, not an easy film necessarily, but we're, we're going to praise it a lot and, and talk about the, you know, the impact that it has. And, 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 you know, it wasn't up for best picture. So that's gonna be fun to kind of bring up a movie that was up for some stuff, but didn't get best picture. And I think it should have been in that, in that group. Yeah. And more on that next week. We're Hell yeah. a blast digging into that one um, on Filmgasm this week. We are beginning our Christmas slate with uh, 2015's Krampus, a fucking blast of a crazy, wild horror comedy. Uh, Julie will be joining me on that one. So look forward to that. And uh, yeah, man, well done. <laughs> yeah, had some had some fun. I hope, hope everybody's uh, enjoying their December so far and keep watching movies, you know. Hell yeah. And we'll see you next Sunday.